Rising Tide Startups. And my guest today is Antisa Jensen. Antisa, thank you for staying up late. It's late for me. It's not late for you. It's staying up and joining us on Rising Tide. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. It is, it is kind of late. It's, it's almost bedtime, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> a lovely Friday night. In, in a lovely Friday night. Yeah, it's dark. So, so tell our listeners, who is Antisa Jensen? Who is Antisa Jensen? Well, I am, um, as you Complex and I actually answer. just, yeah, <laughs> we just had a nice conversation about it. Um, I will give you the, the Cliff Notes version of that. I'm, I'm an American. I'm living in Copenhagen. Um, it's a fun, fun fact about me. I've been expatriated here for the past eight years. Wow. I am a, a coach and I am also a speaker. I, I facilitate workshops um, with businesses and I also do private coaching um, for predominantly uh, powerhouse sort of trailblazers, coaches, people with an entrepreneurial spirit who are wanting to believe in their product, which in the case of my clients is themselves um, enough to actually launch and be successful doing it. So a lot of people have really great ideas. I was certainly one of those people. I was full of ideas, but I never had the internal championing to launch any of them until I finally did, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to circle back right now and let's, let's kind of lay some groundwork here about, sure. you know, talk about the, what was the pathway from the States to Denmark? I mean, you said you were headed in a detour maybe to a, a French speaking country and ended up somewhere else. Yeah. So, so some fun facts about me are I grew up in Seattle um, and which is in the West coast of the U S for anyone who doesn't really know where that is. Um, moved to New York city after I went to college and in college I majored in French and music and studied a lot of psychology and philosophy as well. And not knowing what I was going to do after I graduated, I moved to New York city. And uh, as it happens, I got a job at an investment bank, <laughs> I got a job at a, at a French investment bank, um, which was the only bridge between my education and my career at that point. I, I had no idea what finance was. It was so, so far outside of my, uh, my understanding of how life worked. Mm-hmm. Like the economy and everything was just very, I was pretty blind to that as a musician, as a humanities, sort of more emotionally intelligent type person. Um, and, and as it happened, I climbed up the ladder really fast. I was, I'm a very quick study. And uh, I worked in a bank. I got, I got into managing finance. I was like, huh, maybe this is my career path. Hmm. And, uh, you know, doubled my salary in six years and traveled a ton. And I was headed to Paris um, as my career trajectory was to okay. go work in the headquarters in Paris at, um, at BNP Paribas. It's the bank that I worked I was going to ask you about that, the, the French yeah. Open. Small. Yes, exactly. They sponsor the French Open. That's what everyone, they're like, oh yeah, I know that brand, you know? Right. Um, and then I, you know, I had, I had been, I've been a pretty adventurous traveler for most of my adult life, the past 16 years especially. And I was backpacking through Northern Mexico with some, um, some girlfriends, uh, hanging out with the Tarahumara Indians um, outside of Creel, if anyone has been there before. And uh, met a Dane on the train on the way back and we had a romantic love affair that turned into a long distance relationship and um my boss ended up giving me a leave of absence and i came to denmark to be with him to see what that was going to be like and i got a job in a fairly short period of time and so i ended up sort of re-navigating myself slightly due north Uh um and ended up here working at a, a bank here doing similar work um and 
Yeah, um, the relationship didn't last, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, for those who want to stay to the end of the movie. Yeah, for the people who don't want to stay until the end, you know. <laughs> a vac vacation romance is not necessarily the same as real life, um, and we had a hard time bridging that gap. Yeah. <laughs> so, was he blonde-haired, blue-eyed? He whole, was, yeah. Oh, he, yeah. Still, he still is blonde-haired, blue-eyed, tall, Viking-type um, person. And yeah, I didn't have, incidentally, and, and I think so much of that relationship was, was what sort of guided me towards um, the coaching world, which is mm -hmm. what I do now as my full-time job, um, was that I, I didn't have the tools to uh, repair that relationship, to, to show up fully in it, and neither did he. And so it was kind of like, I, you know, I guess this is over. Like, I mean, I left, like I moved out because I was just like, I, I don't know how to make this any better. And it was heartbreaking because I, you know, I loved him and it was just like, I was a mess about it. And so after a few more relationships where I felt like I lacked the tools to, to show up, that, that ended up ultimately being one of the ways that I got guided into coaching. But it certainly was preceded by an ex existential crisis. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, not how often is that the truth that of, of all of our growth? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, you know, created outside of our, which out of necessity, you know, we've had, yeah. we've had to do things differently. So when you, when you move from New York to, to Denmark, I mean, it's not always easy for an American to get a job in, in the European community. How did no. the, I mean, the company sponsor you or what, what was the, I mean, because they really, you know, guard their, I used to, we lived in Europe for 12 years. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, I know they guard their labor market for EU citizens. So how did you navigate that? So I was of the fortunate um, situation and, and incidentally, Denmark is, um, they struggle to retain top talent here, which is really interesting. Like they, they have whole workshops on how do you keep foreign talent in the country because a lot of people come and then they get disenfranchised by the culture and then they leave less than two or three years later because is they're the they darkness or is it the I they mean, can't integrate danes aren't yeah. danes aren't open mm. uh, like at least on the surface they're not open they're it's a really hard culture to break into right um which i struggled with too i mean like mm -hmm. i speak danish fluently now and i most of my friends are danish and they that has been the case but there have been times where I've just been kind of like, okay, like how do I get connection in this, in this place? Yeah. Because people don't move around as much and they, they stay friends with the people that they were right. in daycare with. I went to high school when you were a junior in high school, you know, the, totally. the clicks are already yeah, established. Like the clicks are already established. <laughs> right. So true. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I was a specialist in IT financial management, um, which is, I say that out loud now and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, but, but I had a really, um, it was really easy for me. And this is, I would so say part of that, right? It is. I mean, there, there's nobody that yeah, knows how demand. to like optimize, sure. optimize the largest cost production in an entire organization. I was managing budgets of like 400 million euros mm. and helping integrate systems that had previously been outsourced. And like, I just had like organizationally, I'm really right. skilled. Right. Um, I'm very perceptive organizationally and so it was, and I'm good at telling the story behind the numbers. And so those two pieces alone were essential. Um, and they sponsored my visa. Yeah. So like, yeah. I know a lot of foreigners who've come here who cannot find work and they're like, look at me like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Cause not only did I find a job, I got a job offer in 10 days. Like I didn't, I was not jobless here for very long yeah. before I was just sitting pretty waiting for my contract to come in. Like it was like, well, they had to make the business case that, that, that a Dane or that an EU citizen could not 
so All they the didn't I want to fill that so that they didn't have to make a business case because in Scandinavia and I think this is true all over Europe for anyone who's looking to relocate uh -huh. if you have a specific job profile most countries in Europe have an expedited path for people who have okay. specific skill sets right. because there aren't there's a lack of talent like a job in the shortage list or something yeah. yeah exactly so working in IT and financial management were both on it's what's called the positive list in Denmark and you got all kinds I, of points on the sponsorship scale then. Exactly. And <laughs> I, I met like four requirements. Like I had a, I was on a pay limit scheme, which means I made over, I was making, you know, it was a six figure job. I was mm -hmm. making, making good money, which meant right. that I was contributing more to taxes. That's sure. really important here. Um, they give you, if you want, if you want to pay top scat is what it's called. It's actually 15% taxes. And <laughs> <laughs> then they'll let you in. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and then I had like a couple job profile things that were, that, that my visa came in like three weeks. It was really right. fast. Now, um, now I'm up to permanent. Is that also Danish? Yes. So, so um, is there a heritage? Yes. My, my great, my great grandfather um, is, uh, was originally from Alborg, which is um, sort of on the west side of this tiny little country. Um, and him and four of his brothers um, of the eight who all lived on a farm <laughs> um, moved to Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Um, back in the day, and mm. uh, yeah, my family my family is is predominantly Northern European. I'm actually more yeah. German than I am Danish, but um, I do think that um, you know, like we talk about white privilege and and you know class privilege and all those things. Like me having a Danish last name has been super helpful here in terms of um, in terms of integration. Sure, uh, people sure. just yeah. generally expect that I belong without ever questioning. Right. But if I had darker skin, different color eyes, I like I blue eyes. Um, and a different last name, my process, right. my, my journey might've been, might've been sure. different. And I'm very grateful for that. I, I think that it's a struggle for a lot of people to move to a place like this where it's kind of xenophobic. Yeah. So, so you, you landed in Copenhagen. You were, you were there, you're hanging out down at the Harbor, seeing the lady of the Harbor. You know, you, how many times do you see it before you want to see something else and the see little mermaid the buildings on the other, that's right. The yeah. Houses along the wharf there. And then, so what was the shift that that led you out of kind of the corporate world onto your own? Well, so I think that the first thing that I noticed in moving here, and, and one of the things that really um, kept me going when I was working at the French bank in, in New York is that um, I didn't have a, a cultural tie to working in an investment bank in Denmark. Sure. It was one of the first things I noticed is that there wasn't the same level of family and chivalry and or not chivalry, family and like camaraderie. Right. <laughs> not the right word. Maybe um, not chivalry either. <laughs> and right. definitely not chivalry because we were in Scandinavia, you know, like though I do I worked in IT, I was like the only woman in my entire department, um, which was great and terrible at the same yeah, time. All the same, yeah. <laughs> um, and um that was probably my first clue that like I, I was interested for the wrong reasons. And then um, I started to get bored and realize, like I was, you know, like, I don't know if you relate to this, but like things, certain things are really easy for me. And um, I never really took credit for those things. And so one of the things that I started to notice is that I was wholly lazy 90% of the time, strolling into the office at like 9.15, leaving at 4.15 to go to the gym and like, and, and no one would ever say anything about it because I was a top performer. Sure. And I would do all of my work in 10% of the time and still do better than everyone else. And I was just like, 
this is boring. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is not like, just because I can do this with my eyes closed doesn't mean that I should be here, you know? Right. And then like the existential crisis came when I, you know, like I was traveling a ton. Denmark has, you know, this is, I'm, I feel like I'm bragging a little bit. I kind of am is they have six weeks of vacation here. Mm. I had seven cause I worked at a bank. And so I was traveling all over the world. Yep. And, you could afford to do it. You had the and I could afford to do it. And I had the time, I had the energy, like I wasn't stressed out. I didn't need right. to go sit on a cruise ship in order to recover from the other 50 weeks of the year that I didn't have exactly. a moment exactly. to myself. Like I, I was like going on adventure going offline for a month in February, you know, like doing cool stuff. Um, and I, I started to realize that while I was traveling, I felt more like myself than I did while I was home. And I was mm -hmm. like, Oh, that's a terrible feeling. Like I would come home and, you know, my traveler friends, we all talked about having the post vacation blues. And I was just like, I don't, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to feel like my life is prison cell. Right. Um, and that was how I felt. And then there was a point where I, I went to South America. It was a really intense trip. I just got triggered left and right. I you know, thought we were going to die at certain points. It was really dramatic. I'll spare you the details. I'm on every podcast. I end up telling that story. So I'm not going to tell on this one, but like <laughs> it's uh I came home and I was sitting actually in this corner that I'm in in my apartment right now, which was empty at the time. My home was really sort of sparsely decorated. And I was like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Ikea. You know, it's Ikea. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't Ikea. It's just like, it was just empty. Yeah. And I, I was like, I don't, why am I here? Like, what is the meaning? Like, this can't be what the, like, I, you know, I was 30, I think I must've been 32 or something. And I was like, this can't be what we're here for. Mm. I'm not here to sit in front of a computer and get masterful with formulas, formulas in Excel. Like that is a robot's job. And I'm not a robot. Like, and, and I didn't, the, the hard part was that I had no idea what to do about that truth. Like I was just like, and I, and I was so well-trained to like have to do something about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, so not having that answer was extremely confronting for me. And so I just was like gripping onto and grasping onto everything I could find in my life to give my life meaning so mm. that those 40 hours a week that I was in the office, I could survive. Um, you said something really interesting a little bit that I, I don't want to just breeze by because I think it's, it's, you know, it's one of those nuggets you want to write down and, you know, put on a bumper sticker on the wall that you said, just because I can do this with my eyes closed doesn't mean I should do it. I should keep doing it or whatever. Right. And, I mean, I think that the thread, your, the story you've just kind of unpacked, I mean, the, the thread is woven completely through that, that yeah. story. And I just wanted the listeners to, to kind of remind them of what you just said so they can do a little self inventory as they're listening to this. I mean, are there things yeah. in their own life that, that they're just doing kind of on autopilot? That's right. You know, just because they don't even know a way out of, of, you know, where they are. So I didn't mean well, to story. That's just, okay. It's so good. I'm glad you did. And, and the, the piggyback on that, that I think is extremely important too, is that it also is not supposed to be hard. Hmm. Um, I was using a lot of energy, um, hilariously, like trying to not get caught being brilliant. <laughs> that like it was just like I you know like I had all these systems that people wouldn't know that I was surfing Facebook in the office <laughs> like it was just like and and don't you have to have another tab open so if somebody comes in you can <laughs> that's what I would do there was there's this like I don't know anyway it's I have a friend that does that I yeah, yeah, yeah. there's there's actually a button you can buy with your foot that changes the tab <laughs> like Excel that you can connect to your computer anyway like the reality is, is that so many people are doing that at the office and no sure. one's talking about it. Like I just, Sadly. full disclosure, like I spent a lot of time like writing blogs and like 
you know, surfing the internet and Facebook wasn't blocked at this, at this particular job. So I was just like, <laughs> they did later when they planning, found out, they found my, my pedal. That's right. Planning my vacations. And, and I want to say though, that, um, it was easy for me, but it wasn't inspiring. It was, um, and it wasn't utilizing my gifts, which by the way, at the time, I don't, I don't believe that I knew what my gifts, my true gifts were. Like I didn't understand that I wasn't hired just because I was organizationally inclined. I was actually hired because I'm emotionally very intelligent and I know how to get things done because I can build relationships really well. And, and that of course has been a large reason why, you know, three years running, I'm a six figure coach too, without focusing on making six figures my capacity for building relationships and transparent connection is how I've built my business. And I didn't know that that was something that I was good at. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I took it for granted. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it as a value that I could potentially profit off of or monetize in any way. Like it was just like, and so I, like, I want to just say that, like, I think that we look at our life and we project the value of it based on society's expectations of Mm -hmm. what has value. And the reality is, is that um, there's so much more that is valuable that we just, we totally gloss over it. And we don't, you know, like so many of my, and many of which have, have been a direct result of alchemizing childhood trauma are, are my greatest gifts. Like I'm super perceptive. I'm, you know, really sensitive to energy and my understanding of how humans work in, in, in monitoring patterns, mm-hmm. which I absolutely used in my 12 year career in finance are, right. are the main, the main thing that I do as a coach. Now it is still very effortless for me, but it's also, I feel, and, and people may or may not understand this, but I feel like my whole body is being utilized now, whereas only a fraction of it was before. Right. That's something I'm and, kind, of, kind of on sensory overload almost, you know, in some ways is like, I would think relationally when you meet people that there is, there is a, a connection that's just more than the word, word exchange. Yes. And you can feel it. You can totally feel it when you, when you connect with someone, you know, a lot of people call it chemistry and, and some of it is chemistry and some of it is just sort of of like energetic availability. Mm. And, and it is, you're right. Like, you know, you said sensory overload, like um, there was a huge transition for me in, in actually utilizing my full self in this way. I was exhausted and like had no energetic boundaries and like, you know, learning how to um, be a fully utilized woman. And I'm going to coin that term right now, but like I was, I was, I was only a fraction utilized when I was working in a bank and and that was why I felt empty and purposeless and like life didn't have meaning. And then, then I learned how to use my full self. And I, as a, as a uh, side effect of that, I actually had to restructure my life to accommodate using my full self, which means that now I spend more time resting. Right. I I don't spend 40 hours in front of people. I spend 10 hours in front of people, 10 to 15, probably a week. And then I, you know, I spend more time alone because, because I have to regenerate. You sure. Know? You got to set those boundaries. I mean, it's exactly it's kind of the extrovert introvert thing. I mean, how do you, yeah. how are your batteries recharged type thing? So, so take us through that, that transition of walking out of corporate. Um, I mean, you said, you know, you, you walked out of a six figure salary job to a six figure coaching job, but I'm, I'm imagining a bell, an upside down bell curve that there was some, <laughs> I mean, I doubt that you, you know, left January one and February one, your, your six figure, you know, your 10,000 a month check came in 
for your coaching job. So, I mean, just walking yeah. away from a job that is that has a salary at that level, I mean, that's a that's a major shift, you know, for anyone. And yeah, to was. walk kind of into the unknown. I mean, what was the what was the internal <clears throat> battle that you went through, and and kind of walk us through that that next stage. Yeah, and you know, you had asked me what one of my guiding light quotes is, and I know that it's not the time for that, but it is the time for it, actually. You just, you just put it in. That's right. <laughs> I'm just going to insert it Absolutely. in. Um, something that I have always lived by, um, even, you know, before I had, you know, my own version of an awakening and changed gears completely in my life, which, mm-hmm. which was very clear when that right. started to happen. Um, some people call it like a dark night of the soul. Yeah. Um, certainly experienced that. Um, but a quote that I have been living by since I was probably in high school is by Patrick Overton. And it says, when you walk to the edge of all the light you have and take that first step into the darkness of the unknown, you must believe that one of two things will happen. There will be something solid for you to stand upon or you will be taught to fly. I think that's also a Star Wars scene (laughs) where Luke has to step off onto the bridge that isn't there yet. So yeah. Right. And, and like a Indiana Jones, you know, where he is exactly. like, I think it's Raiders of the Lost Ark where he has to like step out and then he realizes that there's this whole bridge. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so so that mean your point there, please go ahead. Yeah. Like I'm just, I'm deeply governed by that. And, and one of the things that I think separates um, sort of the, <laughs> the warriors from the non-warriors, I don't, I don't even know where I was going mm-hmm. with that, but like you have to practice faith. Um, whatever that means for you, I'm, I'm a very deeply spiritual person. I'm not particularly religious, though I have an appreciation for religion as well, but like, I have a deep level of faith that I'm going to be okay. Um, and more and more and more and more, um, as I grow more evolved in my own, my own practice. And, um, I did, one of the things that I I will absolutely take full credit for is that I I work my butt off. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of that is un- unconscious working my butt off because I, I am processing things constantly in my system. I'm, I, I'm, I'm skilled at that, even though it's not something that I ever was taught. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is something that I, you know, I, I'm energetically efficient right. um, with myself, um, and which, which is you know, partly why I could get away with working 10% of the time sure. at right. the company. So I kind of already knew how to do that. Nope. But I, I started and launched my business a year and a half before I left it. Um, That's what I was going to ask you. Was there overlap or was it, you know, you, you stopped one day? There was absolutely overlap. And, and I will say, yeah, I, I, I don't encourage anyone to just blindly quit their jobs. Mm-hmm. That is... Um, I, I dabble a lot in neuroscience and I understand um, also based on my own experience, what does it mean to take large risks? I take huge risks. I take bigger risks than most people I know. I like, I make big investments. I throw myself off a cliff, you know, pretty, pretty willingly. Um, but one of the things that I think is really important for people to know is what their resilience capacity is. Because if you take too big of a leap and you don't, you haven't proven to yourself enough to create evidence that you can generate revenue. Right. Um, and that you're resourceful. Um, right. I, I had plenty of experience being resourceful. When I, when I moved to New York city, I moved with $3,000, $4,000 in my pocket and three suitcases with no job, no apartment. when I was 22. So I knew that 
no matter what, I'm employable. Mm-hmm. I'm employable enough to make better than good money. Right. And I'm resourceful and I know how to make things happen. And so that, that's an important thing to have really ingrained. I also had a coach. <laughs> um, so well, I didn't... And a, I mean, that could be almost a hindrance and a strength. So, you know, as you were to have, talking a, about, to have a coach, you mean? No, no, I'm sorry. But I was, I was talking about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm employable. I could get a job. You know, I, I got a job once I can do it again. It's yeah. almost, I mean, there's this balance between I'm going to burn the boats and I'm all in or You're so right. almost I'm going to step out with almost with fear and trepidation and say, ah, if it didn't work out, I can always go back to my day gig. You know, there's, it's, it's, I would think that there would have to be a mental shift that you said, I'm not going back. I could yeah. and I can, but I'm not. So, so I, w- I want to tell a powerful story about that, actually. Um, specifically that thing, because you're right. A part of why I think I was so successful when I moved to New York City, like I said, I want to, you know, this was back in 2005. I was like, I need to make at least 40 grand a year. You know, I find an apartment, blah, blah, blah. And I just right. hit the pavement running and I got a job in three weeks. This was, you know, before everything crashed. Got a history of that. Yeah, but um, when I left my job, so this is a fun spoiler alert. Another, another one. Um, when I left my job in Denmark, I actually um, officially, on paper, was on a leave of absence, and I actually think that was probably one of my biggest mistakes because I knew there was no chance ever that I was going to go back to that right. job. And I still had it as a safety net for about 10 months. I was on a, I was on a year-long leave of absence mm-hmm. and I was away. I left, actually, I left Denmark to go work with some of my mentors in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and take, take some more trainings that are not available here. And when I came back, I, um, I was actually probably the most financially stretched that I had been in my career, not because I wasn't making money, but because I had taken bigger risks. Right. And, and I found in coaching and, and exactly I, that's exactly what happened is and, and, and necessarily, I mean, it was my last year um, that I, that I had this happen. I invested in coaching. That was a, a huge leap for me. And I have not for a moment regretted the financial stress that that put me under. I, I got like five new gray hairs this year. <laughs> um, they're lovely. I'm, I'm actually kind of excited. I feel like I'm earning my hey, They're not bad. I've had them for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was a moment where I was just like, I have been sabotaging myself by having the safety net. I know better than this. It's a great story. Yeah. And so I, I went and I put in my notice on a day where I actually wasn't sure whether or not I was going to be able to pay my bills. So I, I had, I w- I've consistently made six figures, but I, I had a slump where right. my income was not as high as my expenses were. Right. And I was like, was I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to pay. Yeah. Yes. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my mortgage. Right. And that was a huge wake up call for me because I didn't feel guilty about having made the decision to invest in the coaching because it was the most potent coaching that I'd gotten in the four years that I had hired a coach. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've had a coach in my back pocket, which I think is, we could talk for years about, about how important right. it is to have someone on your team like that. But I knew that I would be committing soul suicide, even though I didn't know how to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I did, by the way, um, magic occurred and I got a tax refund and I was able to pay my bills. Yeah. Um, that month it happened in like two days. I got this surprise message that I was going to get you know, like $5,000 in taxes. And I was just like, all of a sudden I was fine. 
like I barely, barely skirted by and managed to manage to make it happen. And I have found time and time again that when I abolish the safety net um, and take that leap into the unknown, I learn how to fly immediately. And it's, I, I use this reference um, about kids because I'm really interested in childhood development. A lot of my work um, as a coach is effectively like reparenting and teaching people to reparent themselves. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of the aftermath of poor parenting in my clients. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we lose that I think is so important that children are so brilliant at is that they decide they're going to do a thing and then they do it. They don't think yep. about whether or not they have the resources. Yep. And they, so they, they've, they've got a rocket ship and they're going to the moon, you know, like some of that's imagination, but like some of, some of the time they're creating things from scratch because they just have an idea and they have no inhibition about going for it. Right. Like there's no reason not to, and we get socialized get socialized away from that. And then all of a sudden we're like, okay, I can't make this investment because I currently don't have that kind of money. I can't leave my job because I have X, Y, Z responsibilities right. that I have to do. Right. And it, those things stop us in our tracks and they prevent us from growing. And I have just learned, cut it out. <laughs> there's, a, there's a great, uh, I think it was a, an article that I'd read actually maybe on Facebook, maybe six months ago about, you know, the difference between a kindergarten class and a group of adults, you know, they'll go in there and say, okay, who here in a kindergarten class is an author? Every kid raises their hand, you know? <laughs> then they go and ask the adults and maybe one person that's actually an author <laughs> would raise their hand because we have, we lose that, we lose that imaginative, um, I guess, ambition or mm. whatever that is, or that, that, you know, that of course we can do that. You know, yeah. I have a cardboard box. Of course that's a spaceship. Totally. <laughs> Why isn't it? You know? Every time I see a cardboard box, I'm like, let's go fly me to the moon. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I want you to kind of drill down on that a little bit as, as we kind of shift into the, you know, the segment that I really was looking, I'm looking forward to all of this, but, but I yeah. really like that the way that we kind of wrap up our interviews here on Rising Tide with a kind of a, a micro course. And I want you to just really touch on um, you know, kind of a segue into your services that you provide. And, and this time is yours. This is, this is really just a, you know, for lack of a better term, this is a, a vocal lead magnet into exactly what, you know, you want people to do as a result of this interview. So. Yeah. So the segue is, so one of the most potent elements of coaching that I got in my early days being coached was um, I was given awareness of um, different types of reactivity that I was running. And I'm going I'm to tell you what reactivity is in a minute because I think that we have a gross misunderstanding of what reactivity is. But I want to tell you the result of me having become aware of my, <clears throat> my patterns. Um, because when I started to learn about those things and I started to realize all of the places where I was kind of getting in my own way, um, a lot of people are like, I'd love to leave my job. Um, but what will I do? And I had that for like two years. I was like, I, I know that I don't want to be here. I know this is not my place, but I have no idea what to do instead. Right. And I was just sort of following the breadcrumbs. I went and got a coaching training because I was bad at relationship and that was relevant. And, <laughs> and then I, um, I was just, I was just doing the work I was in, integrating and I was trucking along. And then, um, by nurturing that, by nurturing, um, a new way of connecting with myself, mm -hmm new way of recognizing myself. Um, I started, I would say, clearing the pathways to um, receive deeper 
deeper communication, deeper messages, deeper downloads. That's all kind of sounds really spiritual and esoteric. And maybe everyone may not relate to that, but I think it's, it's like having um, sort of that gut instinct knowing um, I have those a lot. And, and there was a period of time where those had completely gone away. And I'm really con- convinced, convinced that the reason those had gone away was because I had developed a lot of layers on top of it that made it hard for me to hear what was true for me. And so so I just was, might say call baggage. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, as a group, group yeah, thing. Baggage you know? kind of has a negative connotation. I guess sure. it is kind of negative, but the, the thing is, is we just, we build social constructs into our lives and we, we take them on as ours and those things get in the way. We've got tons of voices in our head. We don't know how to discern what ones are true. And, you know, when you do inner work, when you, when you go hire a coach or you go to a workshop and you start to learn you know, how your thoughts are creating a reality, like, this, you know, basic stuff, right. you, you uncover, it's like peeling an onion. Sure. And, and one of the things that I experienced as the direct result of all of that work is that I was getting downloads and I was waking up with really great ideas and while I was working, I was in um, what ended up being my last job. Um, I was practicing telling the truth more, like speaking honestly about who I was in the world and what I wanted and what I was looking for. And I woke up one morning and I was in the shower and I got a download of a business plan <laughs> in like a 10 minute, you know, I was looking out into my garden, washing my hair. And I was like, holy crap, this is great idea. And it was for my business that is now in, you know, a limb of the many things that I do, but it's called Adventure Awake. And the business exists to teach people emotional intelligence tools in the real world. And we go out and travel and I've taken now groups to Namibia, to Greenland, to Mongolia, to Jordan, to Georgia, you know, to national parks in the United States with individuals. And it's, it's a, it's a conglomeration of so many of the things that I have had as a part of my life um, that in order for me to even realize the gifts of those, I had to integrate them first. Like mm-hmm. I traveled to so many countries and I, you know, I wanted to be the next Anthony Bourdain in so many ways, but I was like, you know, who would have, who would ever hire me? And that is a, that's a killer thought. Yeah. You do not, those thoughts are right. the ones you want to get rid of, you know? Five-year-olds aren't thinking that. <laughs> right. No. Who, who am I to be something big? And, and now I'm like, who am I not to, mm. you know? And I, I really do, you know, lead with like, if I don't, you know, like it's my job to... Um, take a stand for the impact that I want to have in the world. And, and not everyone's here to do massive impact work, but I certainly feel like that's my calling. I'm here to, to help people get access to the parts of them that they've thrown away and, or buried in, right. in many cases. Exactly. Um, and, and it is, you know, the thing I'm about, about to, to teach, you know, is, um, is around reactivity because that was a huge energy release for me. And when you release we, we are using so much energy in our bodies to create some semblance of normalcy, to try and fit in with an environment that may not be resonant with who we are. When you start to release that, you create space for what's true and real, mm. and you become more energetically efficient over time. It doesn't happen right. overnight. You know, and, and sometimes letting go of certain things is really hard. Right. But probably the biggest power tool for me and for many of my clients, all of my clients, is starting to understand what is reactivity. So what do you think of when you hear reactivity? You think overreaction, you think angry. Right. right? That's it's probably the primary, yeah. It's the primary thing, you know, like um, if you're reacting, you're, you're emotionally out of control, 
right? That's, that's mm -hmm. a, I think that's a general judgment that we make about reactive behavior. Um, reactive behavior comes from the reptilian brain, from the amygdala. It's, it's when we don't feel safe or we're otherwise energetically stretched. I mean, maybe haven't gotten enough sleep or food. Um, you know, yeah, that concept of being hangry. Right. <laughs> some people, some people really, I certainly bar will not just fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So and some people try that. Emotional <laughs> eating is a thing. That's um, not step one. Step one is not go get a Snickers bar. Not go get a, yeah, don't go get a Snickers bar. Those are unhealthy. Um, but the, the, the angry behavior is actually just a fragment of, of all of the ways in which we are um, sometimes in almost constant reaction mode. And, and we are constantly reacting to our environment. And one of the biggest shifts that my clients make is they shift from not being in constant reactive mode to being able to be responders to their environment. And a lot of people, to, Brene Brown, I think, talks a lot about this too, is like the difference between reaction and response. Mm -hmm. It's really common in the meditation world as well is like when you can learn how to zoom out and witness your environment and not be at the mercy of it. <clears throat> and reactive behavior tends to be something that makes us feel out of control at least in our minds. Right. But what I know to be true is that the majority of the high functioning sort of, um, you know, intellectually inclined, well put together men and women and other genders of the world is that our reactive behavior is not around the fight, which is tends to be angry or the flight, which tends to be escape. But it's actually more under the bracket of freeze, which is another type of reactive behavior that we don't talk that much about. And there's actually very little literature about it either, but it's one of the things that I specialize in. And freeze happens <clears throat> um, with explicit trauma, particularly betrayal, is when freeze gets activated. If you felt betrayed by someone in your life, um, people who have had sexual abuse, um, emotional and physical abuse at the same time, um, it's very confusing for the system. And what happens is that we freeze. We, our system shut down. We numb. <clears throat> and what you see often in forms of reactivity for people who have the freeze defense mechanism running are um, over-intellectualization, for example, um, uh, avoidant behavior. Uh, justification. Justification's a huge one. Explaining. Explaining is enormous. Like, People explain all the time. Mm -hmm. um, righteousness, self-righteousness, uh, self-judgment, criticism of other people, um, gossip, uh, impatience. Mm -hmm. Abstraction is a really big one. We, we're abstract and we're not clear because we are frozen and we, can't, we don't feel safe being specific. Um, being apologetic, being super polite. Uh, hello, the UK. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, superiority, uh, validation, like those, we would never think that those are things that are reactive behavior. Those are things that are running almost constantly for a lot of people. We are constantly over apologetic. We are constantly justifying our decisions, finding reasons and excuses and explanations for why things are being done the way that they are, why we chose to make whatever decision. We use our intellectual language to protect ourselves. Mm. And even as an abuse victim, I could see that even justifying the behavior of the abuser. Totally. You know, might be a, might be a, yeah. And, and here's where people, yeah, same here. Same here. I, I had a lot of that growing up as well. And 
people who go down a spiritual path do something really interesting. There's a concept called spiritual bypass where they confuse compassion and forgiveness with justification. Mm, wow. For example. Yeah. Um, so it's really easy to be, to, to, you know, justify what happened to you rather than have compassion and to forgive. And like your heart's a big part of that game. And if you feel mm. resentment, um, you know, resentful behavior is also a really common one with freeze, freeze right. types of people. So, um, I say all of those different examples because um, it's usually pretty like mind blowing for people that those are types of reactivity. And I knew for me, I was going through the 12 steps um, when I learned this, I was doing 12 steps for adult children of alcoholics as my, my father was a, was a drug addict. Um, and uh, there was just lots of, you know, neglect and abusive behavior in my family. And um, I was monitoring the ways that I reacted in certain environments and justification and righteousness were my two go-tos like <laughs> super super good at those I, and, and i'm very um i'm very uh, influential and so i could persuade people to go on my ride right and and then they would basically i would enroll them in my victimhood and so a big part emotionally you yes as quickly as you process right them. and this is this You're is the danger of empathy <laughs> It's the danger of empathy. You know, a lot of narcissists are really empathetic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, or um, empathic, not, not empathetic, actually. Right. Right. <laughs> not empathetic. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I didn't realize the degree to which I was effectively manipulating my environment to continue to be spiteful and resentful about the way that I was raised. And it was a huge eye-opener for me that I was actually unconsciously behaving really powerless and using a lot of unconscious energy which when I looked at that and I saw it as confronting as it was, I also felt really free mm. when I recognized that I could identify through my, through my external behavior places where I was getting stuck. And I think that that's really common for a lot of people is that they, they don't know how to even figure out where they're stuck. And so when they get this information, they're like, oh my God, I have been gossiping and colluding with my mother about my brother. Sure. And, and now I know that that is actually my, you know, avoidance of intimacy. I felt vulnerable, actually, what, what's going on there. And, and I wanted connection and I felt like being rejected. And so you, you start to get an understanding of what your patterns are. Right. And right. you can and reverse it. You can reverse engineer them. So you're laying the, laying the groundwork of reactivity. What are the stages that, that you would lead someone through um, kind of on the front end of, of the coaching process or, or maybe the entry point in the coaching process, or I don't want to, I'm not trying to lead you off track of what you're, you're talking about. Yeah. What are those, what are those specific points that you, you want to cover? So there are two things and one of them is related to the, to the download, downloadable file that, that just knew this episode will be able to get access to, to take themselves through this whole process. And that mm -hmm. is working with people on what their belief systems are. Right. So I start people with understanding, I don't know if you know, Karpman's drama triangle. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's a, um, used in psychology, it was developed in psychology in the seventies. It's a really powerful tool to understand where you are um, creating your reality and where you're creating specific dynamics with people in your life. So, you know, we get traumatized in relationship. We also heal in relationship and, um, other people are a beautiful external reflection of what's going on for you. So if you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are constantly feeling powerless, chances are likely that you are enabling them <laughs> mm -hmm. or abusing them. One of the, one of the two. 
So you're, you're either just to fit the ones that are, I mean, was the, the famous Jim Rohn quote that you become the five people you surround yourself with? I mean, how does yes. that kind of fit in with what you just, what you just described? Well, so we naturally are, are polarizing. So we're like magnets, humans, you know, we're made up of energy and matter. Um, and uh, if we're not aware of these dynamics, chances are likely that we're um, going, especially if we're sensitive, especially if, like I'm super, I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm an, an empathic person. So without me being aware of it, I was polarized in, into specific behavioral mechanisms and, and, and ways of being that enabled the behavior to continue. And so when I became aware of how, that, how I was showing up there, I could put a stop to it because I, I knew how to get off, <laughs> right. away from the triangle, of the victim triangles basically right. is what it's called. Um, so that's the first step is that I take people through, what does it mean to be a victim? How do you feel when you're a victim? What sort of things are you telling yourself in your head? Usually it's something like, I feel defeated, I feel helpless, um, I feel incapable. Um, if you are in the persecutor role um, or the sort of the attack mode, then you feel like I got to get mine before someone else gets me. Right. You know, you're in defense, you feel defensive um, usually. And if you're in the enabler role or the rescuer role, you think it's, you know, it's my job to handle all of this. I have mm -hmm. to take care of everybody else. My needs don't matter. And so there's, there's specific um, belief systems and, and sort of inner narratives that we say to ourselves. Right. And what I do with people is I um, help them identify what the, their predominant inner narrative is. So I'm, I, I enter into this dynamic often from the starting gate position of rescuer. I like to mm -hmm. enable people. <laughs> um, and so when I'm in a dynamic that's not working, I listen to my thoughts and I say, what am I telling myself about this scenario that is having this person show up to meet me so beautifully? You know, because right. we're, we're all really powerful people and we create these dynamics without realizing it. And it takes one person to break a dynamic. It does not take both. Hmm. So you can actually decide, okay, I created this experience. I can uncreate this experience. And you're removing yourself from the dynamic. You are actually putting a stop to the dysfunctional behavior. And that person will either um, find someone else or you might also help facilitate their new awarenesses of, of how they got into it, depending sure. on the dynamic. So that's the first thing, right? <laughs> it takes two to tango to, to heal yeah. um, in, in a connected dynamic. That's not always true. Like, you know, you can heal your relationships with your parents, even if you're not connected to them. Right. But right. anyway, so that's the, that's the first step is, mm -hmm. is understanding and recognizing what your tendencies are there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people don't necessarily know what the narratives are, but they will know what the reactive behavior is. And so, um, Righteousness is a really common one for uh, people who are rescuers. So they get into martyr syndrome. They feel martyred um, when they go out of their way to help somebody and then they're not appreciated, yep. for example. And then they become the martyr. It's after everything I've done, this is the thanks I get. Yeah. And their hands right? are up like that. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's, this, That's is the body, this is the body pose of that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the, the victim is slumped over, total defeat. Um, no one will ever help me. I, I have to do this all alone. And the, the persecutor usually has their arms crossed. And, and the reactive behavior of a persecutor tends to be um, more attack or um, sometimes uh, the silent treatment is persecutory behavior um, where you, you basically like make people flail by not giving them any information, like being right. in total shutdown. And then the victim, the victim behavior is like, um, 
more like being apologetic, you know, not necessarily um, uh, like explaining and justifying is a really big one of like, this is why I did this. And let me just enroll you in how incapable I am. <laughs> self-blame, you know, and lots Actually, of self, I, I lots kind of, of self-blame. I may have brought this on myself type, you know, type thing. So, yeah, well, and, and I feel terrible about myself. So come in and help me because mm-hmm. I can't do this on my own. You know, like the victims tend to not feel like they're empowered to do right. anything by themselves. Right. Um, so once you know those things about you, one of the key pieces that I do, and, and a lot of this is a derivative of um, a woman named Byron Katie as well. She does this sort of like you follow your thought, create the, the evidence that you create based on your thoughts. Some of that is, is from her and from a woman named Lynn Forrest, who I mentored with, with a couple, for a couple of years, who also uses the drama triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, the piece that I find to be really, really helpful to dismantle a lot of this for most of us who suffer from freeze, especially, is a, an emotional intelligence tool that I've gotten from nonviolent communication. Um, and that is a list of your feelings when your needs are not being met. And one of the things that I find with most adults, you can't truly be emotional intelligent unless you have emotional granularity, which is to say language to describe how you feel physically and emotionally. Right. Uh, so it's both emotional and somatic intelligence that we are very, very missing. We have a lot of intellectual intelligence, but not the other two. And this is and, just on the front end of, um, we're not even into the coaching sessions yet. And you're just kind of on the very front end. So I, I do this work with them. Yeah. That we go, my clients, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I, yeah. I, they're all laid on the couch by this time. They're, they're exhausted. We do, this, we do this slowly over time. Like this is usually the first month or two of working with a private right. client that I go through right. this stuff. So I want to give people a taste of it because yeah. I think people think that it's really easy to think that um, it's not possible to change things. And we, we focus so much on, on how it would be possible to change our external environment. And, and actually you can change a lot by changing your internal sure. environment. And this is, all of this is, is really about emotional biohacking. Right. I and mean, you've done, you have covered so many things in mm-hmm. a very short period of time. Yeah. So laser focus in on say, who would be your ideal client at this stage? And, and my ideal, whatever the lead magnet would be. Yeah. So my ideal clients are people who are, who feel really strongly that they're here to have a really powerful impact on the world and don't feel like they're really launching in the way that they want to. Mm-hmm. So they have external reflections of either, you know, the relationships aren't working. They're not making the money that they want. Um, they don't feel empowered to, um, you know, champion their ideas, but they also feel a deep yearning to, um, do something extraordinary. Right. And, um, you know, they're, they're powerhouses in their own right in a lot of ways, but there are areas of their life where they're, where they're not. And, and we basically work to align them so that they're powerhouses everywhere. So these um, they have already been successful at some level in some. Yes. So, yeah. I, mean, I tend to work with high performers who right. have already proven to themselves that they're good, but they've proven to themselves that they're good by someone else's standards. And so it's mm-hmm. really about learning how to be unapologetically aligned with your own standards. Right make your life more meaningful on your terms, not someone right. else's, right. Um, which, is, which is really confronting for a lot of the high performers because they've become high performers by playing by someone else's rules. Which, which is, I mean, what a, uh, it's a, like a, um, the word I'm, I'm trying to think of, it's like a paradox. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's like, I've got these two opposing thoughts going on in my mind and, and it's almost like the, 
you know, what's the immovable force meets the, or the irresistible force meets the immovable object type thing. Totally. It's like, you know, it's like people who say I don't have time to be present and not being present is one of the reasons why they don't have time. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That little infinity. (laughs) So how can, how can a high performer get involved with you? So the, um, I have a file that they can download first if they if they want to. Um, you go to my website. You go to antisajensen.com backslash believe. And in A N T E S A J E N S E N dot com. Yeah. Backslash believe. Okay. Um, there is a it's a ten step process that people can take themselves through to figure out what it is that they believe about themselves and how they are responding to that or reacting to that environment. Um, that will hopefully, my expectation is it'll help them really get a lot of awareness around how they're showing up in their dynamics around, around their lives. Um, it also generates a certain level of possibility like, oh, actually, um, this is not an immovable force. This is totally agile and I can actually shift around this. Um, the other way is to reach out to me directly on my website. Um, I do offer, um, a lot of services, um, from group, I have, you know, group coaching circles, which are super potent on the low end. And then I also do individual work with high performers who are really ready to launch um, mm-hmm. on the high end. You know, my VIP packages are, are great. And, you know, I do in-person work with my clients a lot and they fly to Copenhagen for, you know, a day and we do really powerful work there. Um, and you can also follow me on social media. I, I write probably two or three articles a week around this stuff. Um, so that's kind of like my sort of thought leadership side of my personality yeah. is I'm really... I write a lot of illuminating things about how humans tick that is free content. Um, I, I feel really strongly about the importance of being generous with what I have been blessed to learn in my own path. And so I share a lot of that stuff for free. Um, I occasionally also do workshops and, and with Adventure Awake, which is my, um, my travel oriented side of the business, mm-hmm. I do the occasional retreat. Um, I also you know, can cater to groups and, and you know, if you're a company listening to this and you want to do an experience like that, I'm also available for that. So lots of options. There you go. And I mean, I, I would think as some of the higher achievers that you're encountering are also, you know, C-level employees at companies too. So you're going to have that, maybe that carryover. They're going to say, this was so good on individual That's right. Now I want to do it with, with my team. With my team. Person. Yeah. I do a lot of workshops with companies um, on basic stuff, like learning how to cultivate curiosity, um, learning how to break through your belief systems, um, you know, basic emotional intelligence training that is super important right now as we are shifting into the digital era and jobs are becoming obsolete and people, humans are, are worrying yeah. about what that means about their future. And, and the best thing that we can do in that climate is to really have people realize that they have value and they have value outside of the archaic constructs of what the current industry is telling us. And, right. and if you can illuminate that for someone, they become the next innovator. And, right. and that's really huge. So See, that, that's much deeper than my Facebook post about, should I have a humanities degree? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Everybody major in French and you can someday. You'll end up in Denmark. <laughs> exactly right. I majored in French and went to Denmark. So majored in French went joke to in there somewhere. I think. There probably is like 500 jokes. In yeah, there. that's right. Antisa, I, I am so grateful for the time you spent with us tonight. And, and I mean, it's so full of so many things that we could have chased, but you know, we, we want to keep it to a, a, a reasonable time frame to yeah. listeners, but um, I, I'm looking forward to just staying in contact and 
collaborating on things in the future and however we, we can help you. Um, I'm, I'm just grateful for the time you spent tonight and just it's thank you for pleasure. playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. And Tisa, thank have you. a great weekend. Thanks, you too.